cold out there. <laughs> Not all that much uh, snow that came along with this, but uh, there's the blowing, there's the drifting, but it's not slowing things down very much. This is the midday program on the Rural Radio Network. Certainly hasn't slowed down Susan Littlefield, who finds herself... Uh, well, where's Susan today? Susan is in York, of course. The York Farm Show is going on at the Hostess, Hostess Convention Center. And you know, it is windy. But just let it blow you into York and come on in because they've got some great exhibitors, lots of great things going on throughout the day, lots of sea for eggs. So, and there's food, amazing. Gene Curtis found cinnamon rolls. So uh-huh. He is a happy camper, <laughs> and they've got a lot of other snacky, fun stuff, homemade goods. So come check it out. Yep, We're here until 4 o'clock. I was going to say, to blow yourself in there, you probably better start out at St. Edward or Genoa, Silver Creek, Stromsburg, and you'll find yourself in York eventually. Exactly. Put it in neutral and put a sail and away you go. <laughs> exactly right. Okay, what do you have for us on midday today, Susan? Coming up here at 1219, Shaylee's going to have Kyla Haybrock talking about pork leadership as they're getting ready to, to make some tours in this year's pork leadership class wrapping up. 1245, Clay's going to have talk of the Nebraska Extension Pulse Crops and Pulse Crops Expo that will be taking place. And then at 117, the former president and CEO of Tyson was at the Innovation Campus just on Wednesday. We'll get more details about what he has to say about the industry, and that's coming up with Bryce at 117. All right, very good. And how are things? Uh, let me just uh, kind of uh, have give us a scene setter for the York show. Is it uh, underway and uh, people coming in? It is. It is underway. We're just inside the door, so you'll see us when you first walk in. The sun is peeking in and out, so it's a beautiful day. Lots to see, some antique tractors to check out. And, of course, the best part is just sitting down and talking to the exhibitors. Maybe you're wanting to do marketing tools, especially with the big report coming out tomorrow. There's lots of folks here from different cooperatives who can help you out, the banking side of it. You name it, it's here, and you can get your belly filled while you're here as well. All right. That's the Holder Centers right between I-80 and New York proper there. And uh, so exactly. we'll check in with you a little bit later. Thank you, Susan. Uh, thank you. And we've got Jason Jorgensen on Sports Husker Women. Another win, uh, they continue to be road warriors. They have won their last seven true road games. It's a big improvement over last year in which, I mean, last year was just an ugly season, and they were 0-13 on the road. But this year, been much improved. We'll hear from Coach Amy Williams about their latest victory. Also, New Nebraska head coach Scott Frost picked up yet another coaching award last night. Uh, we'll tell you the latest on that. And speaking of the Huskers, sounds like they've landed at least had another verbal commitment from a junior college wide receiver who they help, who they hope can help them out. So they continue to be pretty active on the recruiting front, trying to put this class together. Of course, they did pretty good with the early signing period, and then the next signing period is coming up in February. So uh, if you're a college coach, it never ends. Seems like Scott has really uh, hit the JUCO circuit pretty hard. He has more so than uh, Mike Riley, and there's differing opinions on why they never went that route. Yeah. But uh, hey. Guys are out there. They want to play. They can help. Yep. Sign them up. Apparently, it helped Scott. Yes, before. <laughs> yeah, Bob Brogan on business. Energy stocks are leading U.S. indexes higher. Producer prices are slipping a little bit, and uh, Walmart is going to uh, boost wages and benefits. So they're uh, that's the way they're uh, going to compete with others in the market. So they're rolling up their sleeves there. All right. We'll find out how the wind and the snow is blowing in your neck of the woods on your local station. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network.
Here's Paul Perkins with our ag weather, and it is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. That snow is going to make it like, I used to watch a cartoon, always used to love snagglepuss when it's like, <laughs> exit stage right. And that's exactly what the snow is doing today. At least as you're looking at a map, yeah, just a little bit of light snow from Omaha south to about Nebraska City, and a little bit of it towards Topeka and St. Joseph, but most of it well off towards our east. In the wake of that snow... We've got some bitterly cold temperatures. Made it up to 70 yesterday at Goodland, 61 in Nebraska at Thedford and Imperial. And just looking at Thedford right now, Dirk, their wind chill at 11 below. So oh, people man. in Thedford are saying, it sure feels colder today. They're very right because it's like to the tune of 72 degrees on the feels like cooler raining in Thedford right That's now. That's enough to crack your sidewalks. <laughs> yeah. Holy smokes. All yeah, right. yeah, 72 was... degrees is what it feels. 72 degrees cooler today right now in Thedford. Unbelievable. That was an amazing change. I was watching the progress of this thing last night. It was just like a pencil kind of rolling across the state. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just kind of a band from north the south just moving to the east and i continued to do so this morning it did drop upwards of about seven inches in north central nebraska towards newport those stone chances gradually diminishing across eastern areas today high pressure right now building south from the dakotas clearing out our skies the winds will remain strong today out of the north and continue that threat of blowing snow gusty north winds gradually diminish tonight as those temperatures will once again drop into the single digits Yesterday, Thedford had that high of 61. This morning, they woke up to a morning low of 5 above, and it's not much better on the temperature right now. That frigid air sticking around for several days, a reinforcing shot of cold air, and light snow chances drop southeast tomorrow as we see an Alberta clipper move through the region. High pressure builds south tomorrow night. That will re- reinforce that frigid air and produce wind chills at 10 to 20 below. That area of high pressure tracks off towards the east Saturday. Then it'll start to warm up the air for the weekend. Sunday will be a transition day with slightly warmer temperatures ahead of another cold front. Light snow again possible with an Arctic cold front Sunday night into Monday. That cold snap finally break, breaking with the pattern change on Wednesday. And that pattern change in our long-term forecast is a return to near normal or seasonal temperatures the middle of next week for Nebraska and Kansas. And a good likelihood, temperatures will be warmer than normal by next weekend through January 24th. Our precipitation forecast for Nebraska and Kansas expects near normal to slightly above normal precipitation Tuesday through the 24th. In today's regional drought monitor, 91% of Nebraska still experiencing some form of dryness, the exception in the northeast panhandle. Most of Nebraska right now abnormally dry. Moderate drought is found in the southwest panhandle. Drought continues to worsen in Kansas, where all of the state is at least at some stage of dryness. The north-central to the east, abnormally dry. Moderate drought now covers extreme west Kansas and just south of I-70 in the southwest and south-central. Now, much of southwest and south-central Kansas has severe drought. Right near the Kansas-Oklahoma border in south-central Kansas, there is extreme drought. Weather factors driving the market include the prospects for rain in northwest Argentina crop areas and ongoing favorable weather in Brazil. A storm centered over the Great Lakes will produce blizzard conditions today and accumulating snow from the east central plains into the upper Great Lakes. That storm will slip into the eastern third of the U.S. tomorrow. Cold air behind the storm engulfing the plains onto the east. There could be 
Some ice storm development towards the Ohio Valley, but none of the colder ice in the Midwest should damage the winter wheat. In the southern plains, the extended duration of the cold the next five days will be watched for possible adverse impact to wheat. In northwest Argentina, crop areas, relief from hot weather in the way of scattered thunderstorms will start to arrive tomorrow. In the minor corn and soybean growing areas of south Argentina, the pattern will continue to be more extreme with heat and shorter periods of rain. Consistent rain in much of Brazil will benefit their soil moisture and crop conditions. South Brazil has been slightly drier, but they are in line for favorable rain over the weekend. All right, and this ag weather has been brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. Now, generally speaking, one to two inches got uh, on the ground, but there are some places that got under some of those bands of snow that kind of dumped a little bit more than that. Exactly, yeah. Just in the north of Broken Bow, I know they had a report of four inches uh, near Anselmo and also to the east of uh, North Platte near Brady. They had a report of four inches and also some scattered amounts, generally about two to four inches in north central and northeast Kansas. Southeast Nebraska, Tecumseh, you joined the four inches on the ground crowd (laughs) today as well. And we want to thank you for joining in with us on our ag weather. We'll keep you updated on all of this cold that follows up and when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. Farm equipment manufacturers think the equipment market may have found a bottom. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce weighs in on the NAFTA trade negotiations, and Canada files a complaint with the WTO before NAFTA negotiations resume. Plus, we check in with Bruce Gorder about scholarship opportunities in agriculture fields. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. DTN reports retail sales of high-horsepower two-wheel drive tractors in the U.S. and Canada slipped 4% year-to-year in December. In 2017, two-wheel drive tractor sales dropped more than 6% at just over 20,000 units sold. This is a new 14-year low for the equipment industry. While tractors didn't sell in 2017, combines did. In December, new combine purchases rose 2%. That helped end 2017 with a 10% growth in combine sales. John Deere CEO Sam Allen offered an upbeat outlook for equipment dealers in 2018. The falling equipment market appears to have found a bottom. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has stayed fairly quiet on the NAFTA trade policy. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce President Tom Donahue recently said in a presentation that the U.S. needs to stay engaged on trade and avoid missteps in NAFTA 2.0. The American economy has taken several big steps forward with regulatory relief and tax reform, and the administration deserves a lot of credit for these successes. But a wrong move on NAFTA would send the U.S. five steps back, The message of staying engaged comes as Canada files a complaint against the U.S. with the World Trade Organization. Dow Jones reports that Canada is challenging the Trump administration's use of tariffs. The complaint is part of a broader litigation to defend Canada's softwood lumber industry, which had a 20% tariff imposed on it last year, shortly after President Trump took office. In the reading of the complaint, Canada is accusing the U.S. of incorrectly calculating and applying tariffs in coordination with WTO standards. Trade law experts say Canada's filing of the WTO complaint is among some of the broadest challenges to date against U.S. practices of imposing countervailing and anti-dumping tariffs against imports it deems to be hurting U.S. industries. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer called Canada's complaint ill-advised and unfounded, adding the move could only lower U.S. confidence that Canada is committed to mutually beneficial trade. 
The next set of NAFTA negotiations are set to take place in Montreal in early February, and softwood lumber is not expected to be discussed. But trade analysts suspect this complaint will add tension to the negotiations. To a lighter note, a recent study by the USDA on job growth and worker availability showed some results that should be of interest to many college students interested in a career in agriculture. Bruce Gorder has more. Brian Leake of Monsanto tells us they are partnering with America's Farmers Grow Ag Leaders and the FFA on a scholarship program aimed at ag students. Being a very inclusive uh, scholarship program, we're very interested in students that um, you know that, that go into agronomy or, or crop science or plant science, things like that. Absolutely, but you know areas like engineering, communications, business, mathematics, data science, those. Those real technified areas also, um, you know, show a huge need in the industry. And on top of that, you know, we, of course, in ag are competing against other industries with uh, students of similar skill sets. So it's very important to keep that talent within, within the ag industry. Leek says that ten to 15,000 jobs go unfilled each year because of the lack of qualified applicants. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. The Nebraska Pork Leadership Application Program deadline is just around the corner. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And visiting with us today about that is director of the program, Kyla Haybrock. And Kyla, this deadline is upcoming, but and visiting ahead of time with you, a lot of the applications come in last minute. And so why don't you just talk to us a little bit about what exactly the Pork Leadership Program is and what your expectations are for 2018. Right, Shaylee. The Pork Leadership Program um, was developed only a few years ago. Uh, so we're accepting applications for our fourth class. And what the program is intended to do is to give people interested and involved in the pork industry an opportunity to build some of their awareness and involvement um, in the pork industry at the state level. So what we hope to happen or the expectation is that these leaders will naturally emerge as the next wave of engaged members on committees and board of directors. Now, you mentioned this program is fairly new. You're into your fourth year, so you have had a chance to maybe look back on some of your classes, get some feedback from participants in previous years. What does the program look like? What are some of the experiences people can expect to have? So some of the experiences that are common from year to year um, are, of course, the exposure to the different facets of the pork industry, as well as the different um, methods of pork production. We're also looking at issues that are affecting agriculture and pork production. Uh, but even further, we're looking at things like personal leadership styles and how to work well um, on teams. And um, some of the experiences, of course, are leading these individuals to um, serve as leaders within the pork industry um, on local organizations back in their home communities and others. So um, we have seen this program pay dividends to the pork industry and we're um, glad for the investment in growing the capacity of these leaders. And I'm sure a lot of the applications that you'll be receiving are from people who have their own operations back home. So what does that commitment look like, Kyla? Right, so we're looking for men and women who have an interest in agriculture and the pork industry uh, to participate in the year-long program. And we will uh, have six seminars 
and generally each seminar is uh, one or two nights overnight. So it's fairly reasonable. And within that, of course, you need to grow your skills as a leader and um, have some of those meaningful experiences with a group of, of like-minded leaders. So we see lots of benefits for those folks who make that investment of their time. And then for the very important details, how do people apply and when is that deadline? So we have a very simple application process. Um, it's a few questions that help us better understand um, your involvement within the pork industry, as well as the Nebraska Pork Producers Association, how you're involved with other kinds of community organizations, maybe what you think the future um, might look like uh, for agriculture in the pork industry, what kinds of issues might be facing. Um, so a pretty uh, simple application that you can find online by visiting www.anypork.org. And of course, you'll be looking for uh, the pork leadership program information on the homepage. So you'll just click and uh, complete the form online. Uh, the application deadline is Monday, January 15th. So we're looking for um, those folks who might have a little bit of time over the weekend to get their application in and submit on Monday. Thanks so much, Kyla. Kyla Haybrock, she's the director of the Nebraska Pork Leadership Program. For more on this and how to apply, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You are listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to listen to Sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Hannah Whitish had a big night knocking down six threes to finish up with 20 points as the Nebraska women's basketball team won again on the road, this time holding off Illinois 80-72. The Huskers have now won seven in a row away from Pinnacle Bank Arena, and head coach Amy Williams feels that's a great sign. Fall wins on the road are tough, but uh, definitely road wins in in the Big Ten are really tough to come by. So uh, I just thought it was kind of a gritty performance, and we found ways down the stretch to execute when we needed to. And then um, the biggest key, and we knew it was going to be, was just the rebounding, the battle of the boards, and we took care of business, especially in the second half. And Williams made her comments on her post game show on the Husker Sports Network. Nebraska is now 12 and five overall, three and one in the Big Ten. Barry Brown Jr. had a big night, scoring a career-high 38 points to help Kansas State knock off Oklahoma State 86-82. And top-ranked Concordia was able to stay undefeated on the year with a 95-57 win over Briarcliff. That win was significant and marked the 300th victory for head coach Drew Olson. Well, the Husker football program continues its recent run of success in the junior college ranks as last night the Big Red earned a commitment from East Mississippi Community College wide receiver Mike Williams. Now, he's already graduated and he will enroll and be at Nebraska this month and join the team for spring practices. The 5'10", 182-pounder apparently caught Nebraska's attention with his 4'4 speed in the 40. Also last year he averaged more than 22 yards per catch. Carolina Panthers are reportedly interviewing Norv Turner for their vacant offensive coordinator position. The Panthers fired offensive coordinator Mike Shulin, quarterbacks coach Ken Dorsey yesterday, two days after a playoff loss to the Saints. If the 65-year-old Turner is hired, he's expected to bring in his son Scott as quarterbacks coach. Scott Turner is an offensive analyst at the University of Michigan and previously worked for the Panthers as an offensive quality control coordinator in 2011 and 2012. In tennis, top-ranked Rafael Nadal and defending champion Roger Federer have been seated first and second for the Australian Open, meaning they can only play each other at Melbourne Park this month if they end up in a rematch of last year's final. Federer was coming off an extended injury and was seated 17th at last year's event. 
which he eventually knocked off Nadal for the title. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear tonight, but some patchy blowing snow early this evening. Lows around 3 above 0 in the east and central to 15 above in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. Authorities say a driver was fatally injured when his car collided with a pickup truck. The accident occurred yesterday at an intersection about five miles northwest of Grand Island. The Hall County Sheriff's Office says Dustin Shaw didn't halt for a stop sign there, and his car was struck by a pickup. The office says Shaw died at a hospital. The pickup driver was hospitalized. Two people were arrested after more than a quarter ton of marijuana was found in a truck after a traffic stop along I-80. The stop occurred a little after 11 a.m. yesterday, just east of the Beaver Crossing Interchange. The Nebraska State Patrol says the eastbound truck didn't signal properly and didn't have proper lighting. The patrol says one of its drug dogs alerted troopers to the presence of a controlled substance. The troopers say they found just over 526 pounds of marijuana in the truck with an estimated street value of $1.5 million. Two California residents have been arrested on drug charges. Health professionals have seen an upward trend in the number of cases of influenza, including some cases of a more severe strain known as H3N2. Some people avoid getting the flu vaccine because they fear it will cause them to come down with influenza. Dr. Mark Rupp with the UNMC College of Medicine dispels that notion. That simply can't happen. I mean, this is a killed vaccine. It's not an active virus. There's no way that that vaccine can give you influenza. Now, there are some side effects from the vaccine, and I'll be the first to to bring those to attention. So just about everybody who gets the vaccine is going to have a little bit of a sore arm, and a lot of people will feel little aches, minor aches and pains, maybe even some low-grade fever. That pales in insignificance compared to a full-blown case of influenza. A Kansas lawmaker says she'll introduce legislation that would end the Kansas legislature's practice of proposing bills without identifying the sponsors. More than 94% of bills passed in last year's session had no named sponsor. Lawmakers keep their names off bills by introducing them through committees. And many state and local governments competing for Amazon's second headquarters are refusing to disclose the tax breaks or other financial incentives they're offering the online giant. More than 15 states and cities, including Chicago, Cleveland, and Las Vegas, have turned down requests to detail the promises they've made. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone, downloaded free in the App Store or Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Pulse crops are starting to gain a lot of attention in Nebraska and slowly make their way into producers' cropping rotation systems. That and an expo coming up on Pulse Crops all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining me today on the Rural Radio Network to talk about these cropping systems and Pulse Crops specifically, plus the Pulse Crops Expo, is Nebraska Extension Educator Strahinia Sapanovich. And Strahinia, we thank you for joining us today. Talk to us about what Pulse Crops are. Clay, thanks for having me. Pulse crops are legume crops. They are nitrogen-fixing crops that are grown for seed production. Um, unlike their vegetable crops, 
uh, like peas and other things that are harvested for um, as a vegetable. This is more harvested like soybeans or corn or wheat or any other grain crop. And uh, what's really interesting uh, uh, with field peas is the specific pulse crops that has been an amazing growth in the past several years. So from 2011 to 2017, Planted field pea acreage in Nebraska increased from 10,000 to approximately 60,000 acres, which is uh, amazing, just amazing growth. At the same time, we are having a number of certified dealers increase from two to eight, and Nebraska became a home of three field pea processing facilities, including New Alliance in Bridgeport, Gavilon in Hastings, and Redwood Group. And uh, this just formed a new partnership with Agri4C in Venango, Nebraska. And so they're kind of becoming a real synonym of successful farmer adoption business development in our state, being a new crop and, and for in a new area. Um, and along that, they're pulling in some new crops, such as specialty crops, such as chickpeas and black-eyed peas and other things. So the industry is definitely growing, and one thing on all producers' mind is our traditional crops, our commodity prices have not fared the way we want them to. What is some of the economic impact of these pulse crops? Um, that's what we started looking into when when we talk about field peas and some of these short season pulse crops. They're typically replacing fallow component in a wheat fallow or wheat corn fallow rotation. And what we need to understand is what are the benefits and costs of having them in rotation. So we figured that if we put the field peas in that rotation, we're going to have some penalty on wheat subsequent yield, wheat yield, and that needs to be calculated and into the profitability as well. But the field peas have such a better, so much better price than wheat. Um, for example, right now they're sold for seven dollars, even though the world market is on the downside for field peas, and uh, wheat has been selling for three dollars a bushel. So that just tells you that even with that penalty on the wheat, um, uh, and also all the uh, spraying and investments that we do on the follow side. Um, give give field peas a, a little bit of profitability advantage to our farmers. And that's just profitability. We're still looking into um, delivering the research and, and talking to farmers about some longer-term benefits, such as soil health, suppressing some weed uh, disease and insect problems that we have commonly seen um, in a wheat corn fallow rotation. So that biodiversity that they bring into the cropping systems can also help us short-term and, and the long-term. So that we're still researching that. We have some amazing research that we would like to talk about and, and uh, some research results we would like to deliver to farmers on this Pulse Crops Expo. And the Pulse Crops Expo, again, coming up uh, January 18th. And, Strahenia, kind of talk to us about the expo and what's all going to occur there. Pulse Crops Expo, is, uh, this is the first time for us doing something like this. Uh, we have been delivering some research information in the past two, three years, and we hope you know, farmers have a better handle on how to uh, produce a good field pea crop. Uh, what's really getting, uh, what's really interesting is that now we're having all this uh, businesses coming in, and I want farmers to get to know all the seed dealers in the state and all the pulse crops buyers um, and talk to them. So this meeting is not really something, we're going to have a really short component from presenting UNL research. We're going to put all that in a booklet and tell them, here's the booklet if you want to look at our research and talk to us. But here's another um, three hours of industry updates, panel discussions, and networking sessions. Use them to talk to every seed dealer, what varieties they have, what's the price of their seed, and also talk to 
Postcrop's buyers and processors what kind of production contracts they're offering and then go to the other one and see what they're offering. So they have an option, and that's what really gets me excited. I want everybody to know that now they also have an option to be put in competitive production contract, and also we're going to have a crop insurance update. Um, federal crop insurance for field peace just expanded in five or six uh, counties in the southwest Nebraska, so they don't have to go through all the hassle uh, getting getting in uh, written agreements or anything else. Uh, we're also going to have breakfast, lunch uh, served, and uh, if anybody wants to say at the 5 o'clock we're starting discussion of what universities can do to uh, make the post-crops industry better in Nebraska. That's Trahenia Stepanovich joining us on the Rural Radio Network. He's with Nebraska Extension. He's an educator in cropping systems. Again, this Pulse Crops Expo coming up January the 18th at the Henry J. Stump International Wheat Center, Grant, Nebraska. So go there, learn what's going on. They'll have industry representatives as well as general information on Pulse Crops and how they can work into your farming and crop rotation system. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Good afternoon. Dewey Nelson with a market report on the Rural Radio Network. Well, we're leading up to a big number of reports tomorrow. And we ended the day very quiet, slightly lower in wheat, a little more significantly lower in soybeans, fractionally mixed in corn. Just before the close, March corn unchanged, 349. May, 357.5. July, 365.5, both up a half. December, 383, up a quarter. January soybeans 940 down 7, March 950 and a quarter, May 961 and a quarter, both down 4 and 3 quarters. November 971 down 2 and a half. Chicago March wheat 433 and 3 quarters down a half, May 447 down 3 quarters. Kansas City March 440 and a quarter, May 453 and 3 quarters, both down a quarter. Minneapolis March wheat 629 and a quarter, down 4 and 3 quarters. We climbed all the way back to close higher in live cattle, feeder cattle mostly lower, triple-digit losses in lean hogs. February live cattle settled 117.07, April 118.87, both up 20. June was up 22 at 111 even. January feeder cattle 143.82, down 55. March 141.37, down 85. April 141.85, down 50. And May settled 141.92, down 12. February lean hogs settled at 70.97, down a dollar 55. April 73.82, down 195. May 78.70, down 155. Latest from Wall Street: the Dow up 135 at 25,504. Nasdaq up 42 at 7,196. S&P 500 up 12 at 2,763. What is the Corvus Zone? It's the weed-free area between the rows, but only when you use Corvus, the one corn herbicide that delivers three levels of grass and broadleaf weed defense: burn down, residual, and reactivation with rain. You want season-long control of the toughest weeds, including resistant ones? Use Corvus Pre-Emergence Corn Herbicide, America's preferred choice. Corvus is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our determination. 
sparking passion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Time for a review of today's Livestock Futures Trade with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, pretty much like a yo-yo in the uh, cattle market today. Uh, started out lower, moved higher, moved lower, moved higher, moved lower. I think you get the idea. Uh, basically, uh, it appears that we've uh, pretty much run the course now with this uh, recent break. Uh, we did manage to finish higher in the, in the live cattle, uh, mostly lower in the uh, feeders, except for the uh, very back end. So uh, any cattle that traded basically uh, about steady with uh, what we've seen all week. Um, so didn't really offer much. Cutouts were sharply lower on the choice at noon. They were a little higher on the select. Uh, and I, I don't think anybody was really paying attention uh, about toward that. So we're going to finish uh, lower for the week on both the cattle and the feeders it appears so uh, at this point uh, a little recovery wouldn't be bad over in the hogs sharply lower uh, cash seemed to be uh, uh, losing a little ground here uh, uh, cutouts were sharply lower at noon too and uh, what uh, appeared to be uh, steady to lower uh, cash and uh, the index uh, uh, was hit was sharply higher uh, in the recent one, recent uh, release and uh, we've really shrunk the premium out of the hog uh, hog futures this week. So uh, finishing lower, though, uh, looks like uh, things might be uh, uh, over for the uh, big rally in the hogs. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. President and CEO of Tyson Foods has a message to share. Earlier this week, Donnie Smith kicked off the 2018 Hearman Lecture Series on the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Good afternoon to you. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting for the Rural Radio Network. Donnie Smith's passion for leadership has been the hallmark of his 36-year career in the food business. As president and CEO of Tyson Foods from 2009 to 2016, he led the company to focus on feeding the world great, affordable food while also making a positive difference in, in people's lives. Ahead of the lecture on Tuesday night, we had the opportunity to sit down with Donnie Smith and talk about the message that he was going to share. The, the real focus of my talk tonight is, is really twofold. Number one, um, to bring a realization that we in agriculture, you know, not only do we have to get ready for crop season and not only do we have to pay attention during crop season and do good in crop season and take care of the marketing and the hedging and all that stuff, but we've got to add to our work list communicating about what we do and why it's so important. Because there's a story being told about agriculture that is filled with half-truths some not even close to the truth, but they're being bought as the truth. And nobody can debunk that story but us, but we're not in the conversation. And so we got to get in the conversation. And the second thing is, is then how do we figure out what we can do, not only locally 
in in supporting you know the economies our families and, and and providing great food all over the world but what can we do outside of the borders in the u.s and how can we be involved in promoting agricultural systems in places that desperately need it i've always struggled with this question personally and so i'll ask you with hopes you'll be able to answer Uh-oh. it we put it, this messaging under the umbrella of agriculture mm-hmm. so agriculture is all encompassing who bears the responsibility and the weight to tell their story the most and tell agriculture story is it the people who are working hard every day to produce the food is it the people selling the end product what, what are your thoughts on that with, with your experience I think everybody in the food chain you know if you, if you think about our system um, without the US farmer who is now probably what 1.8 percent of the population right? But without the U.S. farmer and all the technology that they know how to bring to bear to produce affordable foods and foodstuffs, we don't have a food chain. But they alone shouldn't bear the burden of the message. Donnie, I want to ask you this question. So in 1980, you began working in poultry operations for Tyson in Tennessee, which would be seen uh, as an entry-level position, I would assume, within the company. And by 2009, you were named the president and CEO. What advice do you have for people who are starting a career, they have an entry-level job within a company, to become the CEO of a major agriculture company like yourself and your path that you made? Yeah, great, great question. Our CIO told me there's a little phrase he used called bloom where you're planted. What that means is there's, a, there's a, actually a scripture verse that says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And I think that is great instruction for young people coming out of school who maybe are very impatient, you know, they want to be VIP, be a VP in, you know, five years or, or, or whatever. Look, here's the important thing. Whatever you're assigned to do, get good at it. Learn to help the people that give you work. Learn to help the people who's, who get the results of your work. Learn how to build relationships and just be the very best you can be at the assignment you're given. And if you do that, somebody's going to find out about that and they're going to pick you for more responsibility. That was my conversation with Donnie Smith, the former CEO and president of Tyson Foods. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Greg Stuskin. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We're joined today by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. One of the questions we like to ask John when we're talking corn in that narrow trading range right around 350 when if when we could break out of this pattern boy i don't know i mean it's a very difficult thing to to try to predict that at this point it's predicting it's going to stay sideways has been uh made everybody look pretty smart here uh if you're going back to really the end of the second quarter third quarter of a year ago so uh looks to be more of the same you know the news we got today on on uh you know, Brazil's soybeans, I think we, you know, kind of digest pretty quickly there on the corn side. Um, I think we're seeing beans spreading against corn, which could keep it higher. I, I do think, just given the way that we've traded here on the board the last couple of days, that we maybe have a test of that low on the contract in March. What are you talking about? 344 in that area, 345, if that gets taken out, you know? I mean, I don't think we're going to see a big flush. I just think the sideways chop just moves itself lower and may take March's place at 450, which has been kind of its sideways move. And that's I've been saying it's kind of the worst worst case scenario for the producer because you're not even seeing any basis change. The market bleeds lower, and uh, simply everybody's trying to trade it, but they're not really seeing any volatile opportunities to do anything. And uh, before you know it, we're just you know kind of rinse repeat as May becomes now March, and uh, four three fifty becomes that price. 
We have a report tomorrow, no, more than one report from USDA. Should we get anxious about looking at these numbers or should we hesitate and wait till 30 minutes after that report comes out and we're going to trade something else? Uh, well, you know, I think that the market's facing, you know, some, let's say, opportunity for bad news, but the yield of, of the old crop will be the first thing you look at. You know, we're going to get an increase in, a, in, in yield there in corn. Uh, I, I think we could, you know, maybe a bushel. Uh, and then you look at soybeans, uh, probably getting a little bit of, of, of love there. The USDA will probably increase the projections, like just like Conab today, for, uh, for soybeans. And for wheat, actually, maybe the rosy sign of it is you're going to get that seedings number, and, and the seedings number could be friendly uh, as we look at, uh, you know, 32, 31, 30, even in a bare bullish case, seedings, uh, and you throw in the yields on that. I mean, just production is going to continue to fall. Um, demand has been very slow, though. Those export reports this morning were, were really, really sad. Uh, wheat didn't even move 100,000 bushels last week. Corn sub 300,000 for uh, uh, for beans. I mean, you know, a good number relative to the others, but not enough. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. If you want more information, contact them, danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.